Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. Thanks so much for joining us uh, this week. We are uh, so thankful for people who continue to tune in and listen. Um, This has been a fun project, and uh, there's some, I would say there's some continuing excitement around it, not just um, (laughs) in the office here, but in the church. Um, We... uh, We've been really blessed to be working on this project, and it's just a very, very small part of what we do, but it's uh, kind of a cool way of reaching out into the far reaches of the Christian Reformed Church and Mm -hmm. uh, the evangelical interwebs and and all that. Um, And so if that (laughs) describes how you found us, thanks for tuning in. And if you um, have been enjoying these episodes, uh, hopefully you can spread the word a little bit. Um, not that we need to obsess about such things, but at the same time, it's good to um, to spread the word about this podcast as yeah. we uh, work on it and think through things biblically. Yeah, to get good resources out is always yeah. a good thing. I was just reflecting before we recorded this on the title uh, of, mm. of our podcast, Reformed Podomatic. Some people may click on this thinking that what we're really trying to do is to establish and maintain and speak about the ongoing existence of the reformed church. Mm. And of course that's, that's we want to edify the reformed church, but maybe you've realized, Oh, this isn't actually them getting always into the nitty gritty of Mm. reformed theology so Mm -hmm. much as it is two pastors speaking from a reformed perspective into various issues that are going on in the world or uh, that come up in the Christian life. And that's very much uh, what's happening today as well. We're sort of getting back to our bread and butter sort mm-hmm. of episodes where we're talking about really important issues that are going on in our world, things that Christians are thinking through. Yeah. And so depending on how, what we title this episode, <laughs> you will probably get the sense that this episode is about uh, attending same-sex weddings. Yeah. And this this came to mind just because over the last few weeks I've been in conversation with an elderly woman, a friend of mine. Uh, who I work with at a local ministry that I do. Uh, And she asked me, Zach, you're a pastor. What do you think about me as a Christian woman attending my gay grandson's wedding that's coming up later this year? And so we've had a couple of quick conversations, not nearly as long as I would like to, to have them. And I'm not her pastor, but just speaking as a pastor, I gave her some of my thoughts. And it's really caused me to think about this really deeply, not just from a theoretical standpoint, mm-hmm. um, which can be interesting to think about as we'll, we'll kind of get into that, but really from a deeply personal standpoint, knowing that this will, uh, from what I can tell from her, probably cost her one, one way or the other. Or the other. And if she, mm-hmm. if she does decide does decide not to go, it will cost her profoundly. And so there's a lot of pastoral thoughts to get through as we work through such a question. And maybe you've wondered at one point in your life, or you can anticipate wondering at some point in your life whether or not you would go 
to a same-sex wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we hope that this episode serves you well in thinking through this very delicate issue. Yeah, last episode we talked about preaching allergies where we uh, boldly called on ministers not to avoid difficult topics. And we so uh, we're going <laughs> lest we be con- um, considered hypocrites, we're going <laughs> to jump right into, honestly, uh, practically speaking, one of the most difficult topics that uh, yeah. Christians, uh, Christian families are having today, that is um, whether or not to attend the same-sex um, wedding, I suppose you could call it in some sense, um, mm-hmm. uh, ceremony or mm-hmm. or um, reception of a family member or coworker or friend. And so um, why don't we just jump into our flat-out answers? Uh, we don't want to <laughs> yeah. string people along. We don't want to give too much um, prelude here to the meat of the discussion. Right. Um, I, I would say no. I would suggest that a Christian should not attend um, the wedding um, and not celebrate a sinful activity, um, not just the sinful activity of... Uh, of y- uniting two men or two women against the will of God, but the beginning of what will be a pattern of a sort of a solidified pattern, you might say, of mm-hmm. of sinful activity. And so, of course, for for any heterosexual couple, a wedding is the the covenant, the, the established covenant relationship of a man and a woman, and then the presumption and a blessing on that covenant is that this will continue throughout the rest of their lives. And mm-hmm. so um, a wedding isn't just about what's happening on the day. It's about what is right. going to be happening until death parts two people. And so um, my my flat out answer um, would be that, that a Christian should not celebrate sin by attending mm-hmm. Um, a same-sex wedding, and so um, you could go into your answer, but and I'll go into mine more, I'm sure, as I sort of bounce off your your thoughts. But you've done a lot of thinking about this at, during your conversation, so I'm curious to know. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I've been thinking about this for the better part of the last week in conversations with with some close friends of mine, and even with my wife, um, and. I've had some pretty extensive thoughts, but I feel like I could even think more about this and come up with more things that I would think. But I am in agreement with you, Mark. I do not think that a Christian in good conscience uh, can can go to such an, an event. Um, I realize that this, again, is a very delicate thing. I yeah. don't say this tritely yeah. as if it's no big deal, like that you should just coldly, flat out, not go, and you shouldn't feel bad. Uh I'm not saying you should feel bad, but you should. But this is not a this is not a small deal. This mm-hmm. is no small matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I realize that in giving counsel to anyone who is asking this question to not go, that there's there's a lot of really uh, monumental things at stake, uh, massive things at stake. Even the the uh, family relationships and the ongoing relationships of family members uh, are are at stake. So I don't say this tritely or trivially, as if it's no big deal to make this decision. Yeah. Uh, but as you said, Mark, I think a wedding ceremony is about a promise. A wedding together of two people um, in a marriage, or what is being called a marriage, mm-hmm. 
is a promise to a certain way of life. And so somebody could say, well, you don't have to approve of what they're doing in order to go to it. But I think that that's in fact actually what attendance at a ceremony such as this represents. It represents um, some sort of approval, whether or not that approval is voiced um, or if you just sit at the wedding and kind of, you know, be the, the grumpy person who doesn't clap or doesn't shout or holler or get excited when they kiss. Uh, I think just your attendance there is a de facto approval. Mm-hmm. And the reason that that's so wrong is because it's an ongoing commitment or promise to a certain way of life. This would be similar to going to the ceremony of a family member who wanted to be inducted into the KKK. So they had to go through some initiation rites, and I have no idea how this works or if that's even a thing. But if somebody was trying to make a a life-altering decision to join the KKK, and they were making promises and commitments, and then they wanted to have a, a celebration where their family and friends came to celebrate them now joining the KKK, in the same way, I don't think a Christian could go to this in good conscience. Um, you should have a serious conversation with your friend um, and you should tell them why you think what they're doing is is wrong uh, in that case. And you should say, here's why I can't come. Uh, I still would love to be your friend and to be involved in your life insofar as I'm able, mm-hmm. but I cannot participate in this event, you joining the KKK. Um, and so... I think some would bristle at the comparison. Sure. But... Um, Oh yeah, I, I agree with the uh, the purpose of the the little comparison because um, it reveals to us. I, I, I like that you use that comparison. It reveals that um, our repulsion or attraction to certain types of events is very culturally bound. Yeah, and so where where almost everyone would say, oh, of course you couldn't go to somebody right. joining the KKK. Um, of course you couldn't do that. Th- that um, It may be a scriptural opposition, mm-hmm. but it may be a cultural opposition to, yeah. to that as well. Like, oh, that would be a, a, a stain on your reputation as Racism a family. It's kind of the number one sin in our culture today. Yeah. I once saw a video, I forget which new atheist philosopher it was i want to say christopher hitchens who said we should rewrite the ten commandments and the number one sin was thou shall not be a racist basically okay uh, it was interesting that he yeah. ranked racism as then as like the sort number of one the number one sin um as a total atheist that's that's really telling um and so in some ways our culture this is why even the most atheistic person will have a guttural reaction yeah. to um the N-word being used, which absolutely is unacceptable to, to use in language. Because, mm. um, yeah. But, but but even that person who will approve of homosexuality will have that sort of visceral reaction to that word, as they should. Yeah. Uh, so it's just interesting, though. But for the Christian, not only should we have that visceral reaction, but we should have our, our basis for having that reaction is that in the blood of Christ, all all people are equal and are bound together. And so the Christian should see that in the church, there should be, there's no room for racism. And in the world, there's no room for racism. Uh, that's not, that's not possible. Maybe I've been watching too much Premier League. I just used that language. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's their sort of slogan this year. Uh, no room for racism. But I think that the comparison between yeah. the KKK ceremony 
and the gay marriage ceremony, while they are drastically different kinds of things, mm-hmm. I, I get that, and it may, will be offensive to people, many people, to hear that comparison. For the Christian who, standing on God's word, sees that both of these activities, racism and homosexual uh, practices, are sin, that they are essentially... I think similar comparisons. Yeah, it's solidifying an, a lifestyle. Yeah, um, and exactly. a trajectory for how that life is going. to So it's go. not just yeah. a one-time sin. So some people could retort here and say, "Well, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners. He he, he mm-hmm. befriended sinners mm-hmm. um, at great cost to himself and to his own social status. He mm-hmm. befriended them. So shouldn't we befriend sinners? And that sort of means that we should." you know, applaud them at these big moments in their lives, whether if your homosexual friend is graduating college, you should be there. And in just the same way as you would go to their college graduation ceremony, you should go to their, their wedding ceremony. Um, the problem and the difference between those two is that graduating college is a great thing, whereas Mm -hmm. a commitment to engaging in lifelong homosexual sin is not a great thing. Mm. Um, and that will that will cost you, but well, it takes conviction to arrive at that point. And so there, there's sort right. of two steps. There's the conviction to believe that homosexual activity is sinful, oh, and yeah. then the further conviction to to live that out yeah. in with in in refusing to celebrate that yeah. out in public or in your family. And if you're life. wondering on why we think it's sinful. You can go back and listen. We have an episode on this, I believe, from last summer Mm, uh, where we talked about um, homosexuality, the ethics behind homosexuality. This episode, we are not debating uh, the ethical uh, goodness or badness of homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, We both take a traditional standpoint, um, a historic Christian position on sexuality, and this episode is working from that standpoint out to a very particular uh, ethical question mm-hmm. regarding attending weddings. But I, I think, and maybe I could be persuaded about this, but I think that attendance is a de facto approval. And it's interesting to me that in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about the wrath of God now being revealed against all mankind because in our unrighteousness we have suppressed the truth about God, exchanged this truth for a lie, and have now worshipped the created over the creator. And what this means is that God has given up our kind, our species, our race. He has given us up to a debased mind, to a debased heart, and to a debased will where we have begun to sin and sin and sin. We have begun a downward spiral. Hmm. And he ends this section in the, at the end of chapter one, talking about all the different ways that mankind sins. One of them, interestingly, is um, disobeying parents. Uh, He throws this long list together, but at the end of this list, in verse 32 Mm. of chapter 1, he says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so for Paul, then, there's a distinction between doing sin and approving sin. Both are bad, but you can do a sin. You can steal something without approving that stealing or saying that stealing is a good thing. Um, but it's, it's even worse when we approve of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you can see that things are, are really out of control. And so in a sense, approving of sin is even 
it's an it's even worse than just doing a sin because now you are setting yourself up as the arbiter between what is sinful and what is not sinful and you, that is sort of the height of idolatry mm-hmm. uh, you're taking the place of god and so it's a very serious thing to approve of something that god does not approve of mm-hmm. that is really the crux of the matter here and so i can't help but think that that indirectly applies to the the issue of attending a same-sex wedding and other things of course but this idea of approving those who practice them um, that that does not sit well with me i think that that speaks to this very issue of attending a wedding such as this yeah and i I think that really for the rest of the podcast i'd like to talk about the fallout yeah, you know yeah. the that would come from that we the both set our position that, that a Christian should not attend um, such a ceremony or celebration, and um, I think that what some people would hear when they say that is, so you just want me to shun or withdraw from my family member, um, you know, anathematize them basically, and lose that relationship. Just that relationship is done now. That person is dead to me. Yeah. Um, that is how some people would interpret what we're saying, but it's not what we mean at all. That no. would be a in, almost an intentional misinterpretation of what we're saying. In fact, mm-hmm. I would go so far as to say what we're suggesting is actually the opposite, that we, yeah. that we would encourage approaching such a person um, before the wedding would happen. Um, n- the opposite of a passive-aggressive sort of, well, I'm just not going to respond to their invitation and I'm not going to be there. Mm-hmm. And um, then they can assume all kinds of things about why I, I might not be there. But I, I would encourage the assertive um, and engaged response to approach such a person, especially if you're related to this person or if you have any kind of authority in this person's life. Yeah, if you're a parent, um, that's, a parent the, the stakes or are even a, higher. A pastor, a, um, you know, a friend, an older sibling, and um, sibling in general, you could approach this person and say, um, well, here are the reasons why I believe that you should not do this. Um, this is not my opinion. I think that that is really important to note. I, um, in our culture of moral relativism hmm. and people basically forming, <laughs> you know, kind of the potluck version of their personal morality, just, oh, I'll grab yeah. this here, I'll grab that there. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't like that, and so I'm against that. I do like this, and so I'm in favor of that. Um, and so often with that comes an opinion on same-sex activity, homosexuality. That's how people understand moral formation, mm-hmm. um, to approach such a person with the Christian moral formation of, this is not my opinion, this is clearly taught in God's word, that what you hmm. are, are, are doing um, presumably already and, and, and codifying already or, or sort of in a more permanent way through the, the ceremony is wrong. It's against God's will. And so I'm, I'm pleading with you not to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people would hear our suggestion that you should not attend a same-sex wedding as almost permission to passive aggressiveness. Yeah, that, and writing I'm not that person go. off. I'm, not, I'm just not going to go. Right. Yeah. You know, well... Um, especially if you, it depends on your connection to this person. If it's a coworker, 
you know, who you who you just sort of know peripherally, and everyone in the office was invited. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have to go, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, you should. It, A lot it, of this it, depends on yeah. your relationship to this person. Yeah, you should have an opportunity to talk openly about these things in a tactful and wise way. But yeah. particularly if you are in a position of authority, it would be good to avoid passive aggressive behavior, which is very, very common in our cultural milieu here in Ripon. Um, well, I'm not in favor of that, so I'm just not going to talk to them and not going to see them for a while. Um, no, I, th- I think the, uh, the attitude should be one of love and engagement with with such a person um mm-hmm. that really shatters both sides of it i think that there's some who would say yeah i'm not going to go and i'm just not going to deal with it yeah. or it can actually be passive just to go and mm-hmm. pretend you pretend know that okay. all is well and and that's actually sort of a passive response i would say as well yeah. i think christ calls for engagement i think i think so um what comes to mind here is also from romans romans chapter 12 paul is dispensing lots of, you could say, I don't know, I don't want to sound trite with what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 12. He's talking about what the new life looks like in the calling of the Christian. Yeah, and Christian so he's giving a yeah. very long overview of really concise ethical commands mm-hmm. um, in Romans chapter 12. One of the things that he says, which really stands out in this conversation, is if possible, and this is Romans 12 verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so this does not mean compromise. Well, it depends on me if I if I just compromise. Mm, yeah. And if I just go and I go against my convictions here, then I can live peaceably with this person because we'll get along if I just go. Hmm. Um, Paul Paul is not that's not what he means by so far as it depends on you. He says what he's saying here is do your best to establish peace with this person. Uh, live by your convictions. Of course, he says, overcome good with evil or evil with good. Um, also in this passage, mm-hmm. and he talks about having your mind conformed, uh, to, to God's word. Um, it's all here happening in Romans 12. So, so far as it depends on you, do all that you can to live peaceably with this person while also living by your convictions. Um, this is the whole um, Scylla and Charybdis of, of truth and grace, living and speaking with truth and grace. Um, we have to live truthfully and do so graciously. And I think in this case, that means that we must graciously speak to this person, graciously share with them, A, our conviction, also B, our, our pleas and our hopes with them, but to hope for uh, mutual respect on both sides. Uh, I think doing so, having a, a, a really good conversation with them mm-hmm. um, or attempting to have a good conversation with them, I think that they should also extend respect the other way. Mm. Um, but then this leads us to, I think, the final part of this conversation. That may not go well either. Mm, yeah, That very well may not go well. Part of this is because in our world today, we have elevated our sexuality to be effectively our very personhood and so such to the point that when you don't do not attend somebody's wedding like this you are making what to them is seen as a de facto disapproval of their entire personhood Mm -hmm. it will feel like you are doing something that is striking at the very heart of who they are you're devaluing them as as a a person person. not just as a as somebody who is uh, getting married to a 
to another person, but you are devaluing them and their existence. Yeah. So that's how it will feel. Uh, but this may lead again to a totally destroyed relationship. So what do we do, especially if this is, let's say a relative, let's say this mm. is your own child yeah. um, or in the case of my friend, your grandchild. Um, yeah. What do we do here? If they say, if you do not come to my wedding, you are not in, in going to be in my life anymore. Mm. Mark, how do we counsel someone in such a scenario? Well, uh, obviously, the response should be uh, one that is as loving as possible and that wants to establish and communicate love. Um, so I've had difficult conversations at times with people in my family, and that has involved talking about sin and asking for repentance or um, repenting, you know, doing my own repentance, particularly I think of like with my wife where we talk about important things that we've done. Mm-hmm. And um, if love is at the center of that conversation, um, there, there's so much more opportunity for progress. Um, and, and so even thinking about a conversation I once had, I kept trying to say, I love you, and therefore mm-hmm. I, I want to see the full abundant life of Christ for you. He came mm-hmm. that we might have life to the full, and we can only have that on his terms when we live in the truth, when we walk in the way of, of that scripture tells us to. Um, and so prefacing almost every sentence with, I love you, therefore mm-hmm. I want this for you. So it becomes less of like, I want to control you. It's, it's going to be the perception. Um, yeah. And, uh, or I, I hate you. It could be also the perception. I hate you because this thing that you're doing is wrong. And so to do sort of preemptive strikes against that misinterpretation by establishing love is so key. Um, but going beyond that, I would say some people would also interpret our teaching as saying that the family, uh, you know, it, it's just going to be blown up by Christian living, you know, and God wouldn't want that. Yeah. And, and so That's I know that say. God wants me to love my family and it is true. Of course, it's true mm-hmm. that God wants you to love your family and, and honor be, your be a peacemaker in your family and yeah. honor your father and mother. That's right. Um, but there is a promise of scripture in, in two ways that Jesus gives of, of a greater blessing of community with spiritual family. Yeah. So some people would hear, um, you should not go to a same-sex celebration of that so-called marriage. I say so-called because it's not actually a marriage. There's, there's no consummation. It's not a biblical marriage. Um, according to the Bible, mm-hmm. it's man and woman become one flesh. That is the consummation of a marriage relationship. And, of course, that's impossible where you have two men or two women. Mm-hmm. And so even, even calling it a marriage is an untrue thing. Yeah. Um, and so, First uh, Corinthians thirteen: Love rejoices in the truth, mm-hmm. right? And um, to go would be not rejoicing in a truth. Yeah. And so, uh, anyways, digressing back to the family point, <laughs> I would say it's a good point. Y- you have uh, you have a spiritual family. Jesus says, when his family comes to pull him away from his teaching, they think he's wasting his time. They think he belongs back at home. And so Jesus responds with, well, who are my mother and my brothers? Um, those who do the will of my father, they are my mother 
and my brothers and my sisters. They are my family. And so recalibrating how we understand family um, yeah. is is going to hopefully help people see this isn't a, a call to destroy relationships and be on your own. Mm-hmm. That could be how it feels, particularly if somebody idolizes the nuclear family. Yeah. Um, but it's a call perhaps to value um, family in a, in a different sense. Now, Pulling this teaching with the Reformed focus yeah. on co- covenantal families exactly. is really interesting. That For could sure. be a whole other episode. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And I, I never want to make the mistake, uh, like somebody would say, well, that sounds kind of cultish. Right. That, um, that you should forsake your blood relatives because <laughs> yeah. of this, this idea. Religion. You know, uh, yeah, well, we're yeah. your real family. I mean, that's, that is how cults talk. We're yeah. the real family. And, yeah, the and Christian, Christianity does not say that the church is your real family to the exception of your, yeah. of your, of your blood r- relatives. The church, I think make, I think it's very clear that actually your, your blood family is, is, your family too it's yeah yeah there's just different kinds of family there's distinctions and it's a uh, the point that i want to make is you're not this is not a call to blow up the nuclear family and into a life of loneliness or isolation <laughs> from them yeah um but the christian is always in spiritual fellowship and and has a spiritual family in the church and so mm-hmm. therefore will always have a kind of communion and real fellowship there um, yeah. This is not a call into loneliness and, and isolation or distance. Um, in fact, maybe just the opposite. It's a call to engage that person um, while drawing strength from the great cloud of witnesses, uh, yeah. drawing strength from the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, Satan wants to divide, mm-hmm. um, loves to divide. And so the person, the say the parent who has to make the hard decision about their child's same-sex um, wedding ceremony um, could feel well. I have to choose this community or my own sort of church community. Well, that that's actually not a a choice in a way that you have to make because right. you're called to love your your child and engage in relationship with them, and you're called also to always enjoy the fruit of Christian fellowship in church. Mm-hmm. So so really, you're not essentially forsaking either i would say yeah it's it's interesting to me then that are the passages we selected yours from matthew 12 verses 46 through 49 where jesus talks about those who do do the will of my father those are my my family Mm -hmm. um just a few chapters before that in chapter 10 uh one of the hard sayings of christ very similar um verses 34 through 39 and I'll read it because I think it's very relevant here he says do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth I have not come to bring peace but a sword for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, here again, what Jesus is doing is relativizing the the place of the blood family under family which is found in him. Mm-hmm. And he is saying 
family, your physical family, your relatives should not be as important as I am. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Hmm. Interesting yeah. that we're told this in the same Bible that tells us to honor our father and mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes right down to it and your choice is I choose to follow Jesus with everything because he is my Lord or I choose to follow my family who is telling me that I will not no longer be a part of the family if I do not do this. Is that an easy choice? No. Is that a hard choice? Yes. Mm-hmm. But is it is it clear what we are to do as Christians? Yes. Christ is more important. Christ is our highest value our highest good he is our lord and our savior we must pick up our cross and Mm. follow him we must die to ourselves and that means even if we have to lose our families we will follow christ is that a great fun thing no many families actually even in hearing some christians say that Mm. will feel so offended that that will strike at the heart of their relationship um even if this whole situation never comes knocking at their door. Yeah, some other one in the local family could, yeah. some other situation could. Right, it, right. Yeah. And this, this, this goes for a whole lot of things. But yeah. In the sort of hierarchy of values, Jesus is saying, there may come a time where you lose everything, including your own family. And it's funny to me because in our world today, family is not a high value for most of uh, mm. secular humanism. Young but people. On the, in but on the other yeah. hand, in a yeah. weird and sort of ironic way, because there's nothing more than this life and this this matter of, of the cosmos and this existence, the most profound connections and relationships we have are to our family for most people. Yeah. And so even the most secular humanist kind of person who is not religious in any way still thinks of family as a profoundly deep bond and mm-hmm. a good thing and really the ultimate hierarchy. We have a duty, we have a sense of duty to our our family. Yeah. And so the Christian gospel breaks that actually and says that your family, your physical family, your blood relatives cannot ultimately be your highest priority. And there may come a time that when this puts you at, at odds with them and causes a deep wound and even perhaps a loss of relationship between family. Um, but never a permanent one, I would say. And, and that's where the Christian, I think, can have hope. Right. That there are amazing stories of, of transformation, repentance, turning away from a life of sin, particularly homosexual sin. Stories of Rosaria Butterfield and Beckett Cook and right. um, Jackie Hill Perry and um, I'm sure countless others who certainly wouldn't get any attention in our secular world that that would hate that kind of transformation. Yeah. Um, but there are those God's success stories <laughs> right. where um, people did not give up on them. They love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so again, I, I think... I want to be sensitive to that okay. accusation that, well, this sounds like a cult. Like you're telling me to forsake my family to go oh, and just no, believe it. No, I'm, and I'm not. I'm not saying that's what you're saying. Right. I'm just recognizing again preemptively that is going to be a 
a warped interpretation of yeah. what we're saying. I, that's what um, I'm saying. Absolutely yeah. not to. It's and, not that at all. And um, the Christian never gives up. Right. Never. It's a, you know I'm <laughs> channeling my Winston Churchill here. I guess uh, <laughs> never surrender and and so hmm. n- never gives up on that person. And so I I yeah. think again that is that is one of the lies that is at work in this conversation. Is if I don't go to the wedding. I am forsaking this person forever. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. You are yeah, called to not. engage with that person in uh, creative, loving, uh, regular ways. Yeah. And uh, not every one of those conversations is going to be a, a call oh, to no. repentance and leave their new partner. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah no. but, uh, but at the same time, <laughs> to speak the words the Spirit provides in those conversations and be willing, I would say, to have that conversation at any moment. Um, yeah. And, and you know, love rejoices in the truth. Love never fails. Uh, yeah. uh, always um, uh, seeks the, the good of the other. And, of course, we know what the good of the other is with, uh, according to what God's Word says it is, uh, mm-hmm. which is to walk in truth, to love Him. And so maybe one final misunderstanding that I would want to strike against is the solution for such a person is is not so um, say somebody that you know has a grandson the solution for that grandson is not to get married to a girl mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I, I, I think that that is often the assumption the solution isn't even first a sexual solution mm-hmm. it is a identity solution so it's to to find christ um as he is in the scriptures to repent of sin and to turn to him it's really only then that somebody would desire to live according to god's way um Mm -hmm. i had a situation quite similar to this i would say um in my my last church where some godly parents had a a son who was cohabiting who was living with his girlfriend and so the son asked them to come over and stay at their house. Hmm. And so the the the, fa- the parents were saying, we don't feel right about this. It's actually the same sin as it's a sexual sin. It's fornication. Right. Um, and uh, and they said, we don't feel right about this. And so they thought, well, the solution for him would be to not live together. And I, I thought, well, that is that's part of it. That but that's mm-hmm. down the road. The first solution is to come to Christ. Yeah, is that he would know the holiness of God, the glory of God, the word of God, and in doing so would desire to do what is good. Um, yeah. I think that so often these conversations can just focus on the steps that are, say, step three and four and five, <laughs> instead of getting to step one of understanding the gospel, who you are in Christ, um, and and sort of the call to live for him in every way and not just with yeah. our sexual lives. Yeah, so. that is a great, I think, place to end it because there could be a lot of confusion here. Um, as Paul says, live peaceably with all so far as it depends on you. This means that, yeah, you, you don't, the Christian doesn't end the relationship. The relationship yeah. may be ended with you mm. as a Christian, but so far as it depends on you, you must aim to continue loving this person. Yeah. And so, yeah, this one is probably going to be a controversial one. We know that as soon as we put this out, we mm. may get some feedback, and we welcome that. Yeah. Um, and we, we would love to discuss this further, and maybe you can correct some of our thoughts. Um, but we, I think that 
what we've said is very profound and I think it really Hopefully it's in line with the word it is yeah. in line with God's word and so yeah we thank you guys for listening if you've uh, if you've appreciated this podcast as Mark said earlier at the beginning go ahead and recommend it to friends we would love for uh, its reach and its impact to be spread yeah. uh, not for our glory at all <laughs> I like just being a small town guy but <laughs> and it doesn't really matter to us if it's 10 people listening or 2,000 right yeah and, no and, yeah. it's just pastors talking so <laughs> sure. that's the ultimate aim anyways but yeah. yeah again thanks for listening you guys we'll be with you next week great see ya